forever. Dog. Welcome to Public Intellectual. Public Intellectual is a podcast supported by its listeners. You can go to patreon.com slash public intellectual and debuting this week, the rebooted, God forgive me for using that word, bonus episodes. It's patreon.com slash public intellectual. This week's discussion is about the movie Robocop, uh, restarting our Paul Verhoeven film series. And I'm pretty much going to leave it at that because I have a head cold. I also have a cat that I had to take to the emergency room today. Um, so, you know, patreon.com slash public intellectual for kitty healthcare. But um, our guest this week is my friend Emily Yoshida. She's a film critic with Vulture and New York Magazine, and she's wonderful. And we talk about the masculinity of the hyper 80s action movie and the TV dads that followed. We heard we are here to talk about RoboCop, uh, which you really wanted to to um, to talk about. Um, you, I feel like I of, brought it up a long time ago. And yeah, many months passed, and I'm still like I still want to talk about RoboCop. But yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, I rewatched the director's cut this morning, oh. the the ultra even more bloody and offensive version. So that was really exciting. It's seven o'clock this morning. Um, uh, so. I guess my first question is, uh, what about RoboCop made you want to um, pick this Verhoeven film to discuss? Well, I think I think I mentioned to you before that I only somewhat recently rewatched Starship Troopers in what I thought was a meaningful way. And so now I appreciate that movie kind of on the same level as this. But I think that I saw RoboCop earlier and the level of satire that it was working on was very invigorating to me as a young person Um, and also the degree to which a lot of people seem to not pick up on that satire was always incredibly frustrating to me so that's sort of the same case with Starship Troopers and it's the same writers Um, so now I can kind of appreciate both in that way but this is the one that hit me first and I've watched the most times and definitely have more of a place in my heart for which like that that is growing now for starship troopers but uh it's catching up so yeah yeah they have a lot of the same format with the um the uh, the interjection of advertisement fake advertisements and, mm-hmm. and television and propaganda um but and both very much sort of taking apart sort of American military uh, militarization and and um, and violence um but yeah, it's um, they they are very sort of um, twins. Just one has uh, Neil yeah. Patrick Harris as a Nazi, and the other one right. doesn't. <laughs> has everyone else as a Nazi? Um, the, I think the interesting thing, and maybe the reason why Starship Troopers, it didn't. I didn't read it the first time that I saw it, was that it was it was a '90s movie working like you know it was released maybe the same summer or the summer after Men in Black or some, or maybe the same summer as Men in Black 2 or something. like. There were so many movies around then that I was seeing as an adolescent that uh, were straightforward and 
you know, looked the same, had CGI grossness and weird aliens and stuff like that. And I think RoboCop was so much more of a different time when I was mm-hmm. watching it that it was easier to see that it was making fun of something. But I think that I think a lot of the contemporary criticism around it was um, for RoboCop was kind of in that same thing. Like you're so much in it that you can't see the way that it's in dialogue with everything else around you. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, that's the weird thing. The the common thread with Verhoeven is that every every movie is misunderstood when it comes out. Um, yeah. inclu- you know, up until L, this has happened. Yeah. Um, and the satirical elements are not sort of recognized as being what they are. Uh, you know, and so even to the audience, you know, there's this picture that I have of like a uh, RoboCop or a guy in a RoboCop uniform, like being handed an award from George W. Bush or one, no, the, the first George Bush. Um, in, in their sort of anti-violence campaign. I was like, that's not what the movie is doing. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, no, it's, uh, I feel like any any big, um, you know, it's it's funny that it's, it's always jarring to me anytime I look up a movie that I like that's sort of in this genre and it's called an action movie. Because <laughs> um, I just think of them as like violence movies, but yeah. you can't really call it. Like that's not a genre that <laughs> that exists officially, um, though it should be. Yeah. But um, I think that anything that's kind of in that genre runs the risk of being wildly misinterpreted. Like you kind of just like take that as a given that there's going to be. And I guess I guess sort of the debate around it is then about around it then is how much do you want to risk having a bunch of I don't know in this case maybe like adolescent boys who want to be a robot cop, a robot cop, <laughs> a Robert cop um, that just annihilates everybody. I don't know. Well, I mean, it's a it's a line in the in the film when, you know, he's before he's turned into RoboCop. Um, he's talking about the TV show with a like a right. laser cop. The TJ Laser. TJ Laser. The, like such a distinctive uh, flourish, like spin, doing that spinning gun thing. But that yeah. was his thing. That was the thing he imprinted on. Um, but yeah, and it and it's you know he he says that his son watches it, which is his um, reason for sort of um, watching it as well. But he's you know he says um, role models can be very important for a boy. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's like. Um, for boys, but you know, there's still so many stupid adult men uh, who watch RoboCop and and really all Verhoeven and they're yeah. like tits and things blowing up. Like, yay! Yeah. <laughs> this is it's so okay. So this is, I think, this time around, the reason that I want to talk about this movie is that I find that to be so kind of. <laughs> deeply satisfying in its irony because I feel like I've been having a lot of conversations recently and not about this movie at all about like the polar opposite of this movie but about the idea of agency in movies and RoboCop is like the ultimate example of a character like a male character who like the whole thing the things that are like his signature qualities that are the reason the movie exists have to do with his total lack of agency. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's funny that that's the thing that any at any point was valorized or romanticized, especially by men looking for like a tough hero to, um, to idolize. I don't know how much anybody does that anymore, but the fact that they made a remake of it tells me 
it's still in the air somehow. I don't know. I never Gary saw Gary Oldman, right? Like, what is he? What was he doing? Who, I don't know. Who did he owe money to that he did RoboCop? <sighs> I don't know. I didn't see it. Did you see it? No. no. I haven't even seen RoboCop 2. I think if I knew that Verhoeven directed it, I would see it. But... He, he didn't. I know he didn't. And but it, it's such a its movie opens itself up for such a good sequel. Yeah. And it does is not there. Didn't he write one at some point? He was working on one at some point and then left it. Or I don't know. Uh, hoping, I thought it was the screenwriter, but maybe, oh, the screenwriter. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It's um. I like that that Verhoeven resists the the sequel adamantly, but like everybody feels compelled to do it for him. Right. Like, yeah. I, I always <laughs> like that part about it. It's just like yeah. we're going to misunderstand and misinterpret the work entirely, and then make another one anyway. Like, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I think that I think maybe there is something about the narrative though of of having your identity taken away by. In this case, like a corporate entity, but in a lot of a lot of cases, it's like a government entity or something that, uh, and then fighting to get your identity back in some way that is endlessly reproducible. They did like the new Ghost in the Shell movie. Uh, was that last year? I can't remember anymore. As long as I've been a film critic now, all the movies <laughs> have run together because yeah. I see so many of them. But I guess it was early last year it was in the spring of last year but that is such a con like the original material is such a complicated and interesting and dark story mm-hmm. about having a body and uh they made it into robocop like they turned it into robocop for the american movie because that narrative of fighting to regain your individualism against the big like I don't know, Borg-like assimilating force uh, is is very easy to digest. Yeah, I mean it's interesting what you're saying about sort of the agency that being stripped away from him, and so that is what like sort of men are valorizing. Like it's also any sort sort of softness, right? Like mm-hmm. the the wife and the kid and and the domesticity, and you know the fact that he sort of regains. Um, a part of that through a dream I find mm-hmm. very like a very sort of feminine thing I always think of yeah. like dreaming being very sort of you know feminine um, yeah so it's um, it's a weird thing for men to latch on to in that in the wrong way mm-hmm. um, but it, but very much part of our sort of masculinist culture where you know you're just supposed to fuck women and you're not supposed to fall in love with them right. now like that's a show of yeah. toughness that's real real masculinity is um uh of avoiding intimacy yeah it's it's i mean yeah he is given the stakes of of you had a family even if he doesn't have the family anymore but it's the idea of having it at some point and that's the thing that he has to fight for or like his reason to live that is very feminine. Like that's, <laughs> that is a very, I hadn't thought about that before. Well, um, I mean, it's kind of like a trope in these, you know, the the woman fighting for her child, you know, her child has been yeah. taken from her. Yeah. And so she has to sort of, re, you know, that's always the sort of feminine um, uh, hero's journey. Or is, just trying yeah. to get a child in the first place to make yeah. a, I was, so I've, I've been on a string of watching a movie every single night for the last few weeks. Um, uh, and I, I was watching, I watched for the first time in a while, um, The Big Chill. I hadn't watched that for oh 10 God. years. <laughs> and it's like a delight mm-hmm. in many ways. 
But I was realizing, because I was like, oh, I can't wait to see which character I think is the best this time, like 10 <laughs> years later. And I'm like, I mean, you have to take three of them off the board because, well, and even like the most likable character ends up just wanting to have a, a, a likable female character ends up just wanting to have a baby with somebody in like a very mercenary way that is like, wow, did Laura's can Lawrence Kasdan ever meet a woman? I don't know. <laughs> uh, but it was still fun to watch. I don't know. William Hurt is so good in it. <laughs> I, you know, 80s William Hurt was really, was really something, even yeah. though he was, I guess, doing a lot of like psychedelic drugs, but he was like pure mm. sort of like dad porn. Like, that seems like of... part of the appeal. Yeah. There's like a real kind of galaxy brain <laughs> aspect <laughs> to him. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I don't know. He's always sort of presenting himself as his dad. Mm -hmm. Um but yeah, Broadcast News is one of my favorite movies. Oh, yes. I feel like we're getting off track. But, Absolutely. you know. Uh, <laughs> well, that's like, okay, so that was like the same year, wasn't it? 87. Yeah. yeah. I mean, not, not, that's not, I, I have nothing else I have no fucking <laughs> idea what year Broadcast News came out. But, um, but you know, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, the, the sort of, you know, um, complicated gender politics of 80s movies. Was that, I mean, it was allowed to be more complicated than I think it is now. Um, mm, yeah. I mean... I think I think I have a skewed <laughs> a skewed uh, vision on it because there are so many movies uh, of the of the violent genre that I have never seen. Like I think I've seen one Rambo movie and once, and I don't really remember that much about it. I've seen maybe the first two Rockies, but again, I don't really remember that much about them. So they, I mean, I'm sure that they've made a bigger impression on society in general, but not on me. Um, well, it's yeah. sort of it's sort of interesting in the in the way the the sequels to RoboCop are interesting, like le like Lethal Weapon, uh, Rambo, um, RoboCop. What was the other movie that you mentioned in the violence? Rocky. Rocky. Yeah, like these are all sort of like um, complicated male figures, uh, damaged, traumatized, mm -hmm. sort of almost in some ways feminized male figures um, that the first movie is allowed to be complicated in that way. And then it just like takes anything interesting. And then it just becomes right. like uh, violence and action hero shots right. and Mel Gibson doing slapstick or whatever the fuck that like was. Needing the need for repetition kind of is also the need for <laughs> to strip away the nuance. I, I feel like in all cases of all movies and sequels and everything, I don't know. I the I think going back to the action versus violence thing, th like there aren't I, the violence is great in this movie because it's so broke and it's so. I I I tend to especially as I get older, I tend to like kind of be a little more squeamish about that kind of thing or less mm -hmm. like immediately wanting to see a super violent movie. But there's something about the violence here that I find some weird almost abstract joy in um because it is so over the top and it feels like it's it's talking about itself in a way that other violence isn't um i i but none of the none of those sequences like the big ones like the when the ed 209 is like you know in the that early scene where it, it kills the one dude the in the boardroom um mm -hmm. or or when uh when murphy does get shot up uh before he gets put back together um 
those aren't really good action sequences. No. They're they're like building up to um an explosion of body. <laughs> like it's a, it's like an eruption of a body. Yeah. But the, it's not about tracking action. It's not there are some cool like camera things that he does as far as like driving sequences and like some interesting sort of tracking shots like that. But it's not about it's not like this great composition of of tracking the good guy and the bad guy chasing each other or whatever the case may be mm-hmm. um and i i i feel like it could have been more of that i do think it's like a very pointed decision to deny that uh that kind of satisfaction from it um but then you know you get it in the in the bodies exploding so yeah it's, it's not treated in that sort of michael bay kind of no. like way no um and i see that I think now because of the um, Marvel movies being such Ill- illegible messes when it comes to um, the action sequences, mostly because they're just entirely computer generated and you can't like differentiate one texture from another. Mm-hmm. I think now contemporarily there's been a lot of criticism that is very much uh, looking for looking for directors that can't do that well uh, and kind of just like pra- praising that in and of itself which I don't know. I think it's like a tool. <laughs> sometimes it's appropriate and sometimes it's not. Um, but yeah, I mean, most most action sequences now are pretty terrible though. So Yeah, and the CGI ones, it's like nobody, nobody has a body. Like there's no yeah. embodiment in yeah. any of the violence and there's no, yeah, yeah. whereas... Well, and they can't home. have that. They can't be honest about a body because they're all rated PG-13. Right. Like, yeah. no, like PG-13 is like the anti-body <laughs> rating or something. Yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah. And then Robocop being the sort of, you know, the the superhero of, of a different kind. Um, but now all the superheroes like have these um, all these feelings. <laughs> <laughs> Well, they all they all have to be. They're all Joss Whedonized, even if yeah. he's not doing them. They they have to be so. I mean, and 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 RoboCop is an example of this. But like again, they have to be involuntary. Like part of the thing, I say this all the time about like um, like privilege, like for for like like women's pictures now. Mm-hmm. Uh, like any depictions of wealth or privilege, like I think, like I always say this about so- Sofia Coppola movies, like part of the fantasy is being disaffected about it. Mm-hmm. And I think that part of the fantasy of being a superhero has to be like, oh, I didn't want to be a superhero. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't choose this, <laughs> but I guess I have to go be a hero. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it it's like two sides of the same coin, I feel like. Yeah. Um, to like I don't I don't want to be pampered, but I must be pampered. <laughs> <laughs> this is just a gilded cage. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I remember that was the most annoying thing about Buffy uh, to me was the kind of whininess about um, having super strength and and, mm-hmm. and so on. Um, the the tortured, um, which is I think all the only thing that Joss Whedon brings to anything is this sort of. Um, uh, I don't know, this responsibility, the weight of the responsibility. Mm. Yeah, anyway. Yeah. I. That's the only thing about Wonder Woman that I think I liked is that she at least seemed to enjoy her job. 
Uh, <laughs> she had like great job satisfaction. <laughs> uh, the rest of it I could take or leave, but she seemed to be having a good time and it was fun to watch. <laughs> I don't know. Um, the, the sort of... Um, the addressing of police violence um, in yeah. RoboCop seemed way ahead of its time. Yeah. Um, even even before they turn someone into a machine, the kind of like, uh, you know, the cops talking about just in- invading the neighborhood and kicking the shit out of everybody mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. Um, but it's coming out of like this, um, you know, sort of 1970s early 80s like dirty dirty hairy kind of you know the the rogue cop the one cop that is mm-hmm. going to save us from uh madness and and so on um like the rogue cop as the antidote to like police corruption or something or like like i don't know or like the antidote to maybe not even police corruption but just like corruption in general like, yeah like corruption. corruption like one yeah, true yeah. man stands you yeah. know to whatever yeah. the fuck um I mean, it's very pointedly done to create this new city in like it's it, there. They are um, it's police brutality in the service of gentrification. Yeah. Which, which is, is amazing. <laughs> amazing. <laughs> uh, new Delta City. Uh, I bet they have really good uh, juice bars. Yeah. Um, yeah. I yeah. Not, and it's it's funny. I don't know. I don't know enough about Detroit, honestly, to, to to say anything educated about it. But it is. Didn't they go and they did the sequel in Detroit as well? I mean, it feels like that narrative in real life hasn't changed that much about Detroit in twenty years or whatever. Right. Um, I mean, or thirty years. Ever, so. Well, Detroit is the perennial scary place. Mm-hmm. Uh, the scary urban urban yeah. uh, environment, um, which sort of then you know justifies anything done to it right? right um there was a really good piece now i can't remember who wrote it or where it was but like the how sort of the the ruin porn photography of detroit oh, yeah. sort of predated the move of um sort of uh brooklyn particularly yeah. art galleries moving into detroit and gentrifying the shit out mm-hmm. of it and buying up a lot of property um like that that was kind of a straight line yeah. if you can portray something as ruined blank violent mm-hmm. then it doesn't matter what you do as long as you yeah. you know change it well it's like the closest thing we have in the states to a berlin except it's like nowhere it's like on a different timeline entirely of development so <laughs> but everybody has notions of romantic notions of setting up shop and like oh one like a in on a, a city that is largely comprised of ruins and where dance music is big. <laughs> I don't know. That's all I've got. <laughs> Detroit. <laughs> like, um, yeah. Uh, what was I going to say about the 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 cops though? Or oh yeah. So so there are so many movies, especially of this era. And there is a good piece, and I wish I now I can't remember what this one was, but it was about it was about Escape from New York, um, and it being this really good um, God, it's on the tip of my tongue. Who did it? I think it was on MTV, MTV News before it got shut down. Uh, but about about New York in that movie, but just like the the like urban blight in general being mm. this idea that is still 
um, informing how this current administration sees cities, like a very 80s understanding of it. Yeah. Um, and there are so many depictions from the 80s that are of this nightmare, like, you know, almost phantasmagorically nightmarish <laughs> uh, urban urban city. But I have to say that uh, as far as getting into the world building of that side of it, mm-hmm. there's not that much in RoboCop. I think I'm always surprised because I think I've imagined the city that it takes place in more than it's actually depicted in the film. Um, like they go to the club at one point and um, uh, Leland Palmer uh, <laughs> is like there. The cl- I can't remember the actor's name. I'm so bad with actor names. It's terrible. Um, but and that's one part where it's like, oh, here's what like the underbelly of the city does to go have fun. Like, of course, it's like a crazy club where everybody's yeah. topless or whatever. But um, but other than that, and like, you know, Crime Alley or whatever, where people are getting mugged, there's not that much of a sense of what it would be like to live there mm-hmm. to the degree that there is in other movies um, of, around that time. Uh I don't know. I'm a big fan of like the LA, the downtown LA dystopias. So I, I always feel like those are very um, interestingly fleshed out. But I, I don't know. I don't really know what to make of that. I mean, it's a tight movie. It's not very long. Yeah. Another great thing about it. So it doesn't get that much into trying to do this really comprehensive world, like epic scale world building or whatever, which I appreciate. Um, again, I do think it's like one of the few things where I'm like, there could be a great sequel around this, but like it would have to be all the right circumstances for it to come together. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think I don't think Verhoeven does that. I mean, the fact that Starship Troopers is set in Argentina right. is somehow a surprise <laughs> to me every single time yeah, because so there's weird. nothing about it that's uh, that that says Argentina, including well, they're all speaking English. Well, is it like isn't is it kind of a nod to the Nazi stuff? Oh, maybe. (laughs) I haven't thought about that. I haven't thought about the Nazis of Argentina, but yeah, maybe. But um, they should have just done Brazil then, and then we could have had like a James Mason nod or something. I love Mm. James Mason. Um, I I need to do an episode just about James Mason because I've been... I now did, that Filmstruck is dying, but yeah. I've been watching like, every this is James why I've Mason. Been watching, I've yeah. been watching so many movies because I'm like, gotta get, gotta catch them all before yeah. it goes away. God, um, I I know you already talked about Stars Born. Uh, speaking of James Mason, that's why I'm speaking of James Mason. But mm-hmm. um, that was actually like one of the films that I was talking about in terms of this idea of agency, because um, there is. Definitely. I mean, there's like plenty of people. Have you seen the new one? I have not. Okay. I can't. I can't bring myself to do do Bradley Cooper <laughs> auteur. <laughs> you might be surprised how much you like it. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's uh, it is interesting. It's much more. Yeah, it, I think I think any any analysis of it being much more in that character in the Norman slash. Uh, Jackson main character having more of a point of view or more sympathy or something is true in this one. Um, but I think that th- there's been a lot of kind of criticism of that film being um, around kind of stuff just happening to Lady Gaga's character, which is like, and I don't know if these people are saying this in, in comparison to 
in comparison to the previous star stars is borns mm-hmm. um but i i think that those discussions have really very much laid bare to me something i've been suspecting for a long time that i think like all notions of the idea of agency in film criticism especially like like woke slash corrective film criticism yeah um tend to be pretty broken um and i think i mean this is like an interesting example of the inverse of that like robocop is but i think that i think that the 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 appeal and should like not necessarily knock it just because she's not making her own decisions is like seeing a person get hit by a tornado and how they deal with it and you know depending on who's doing the performance and depending on the writing it can be it can turn out good or bad but i don't think it's inherently bad just because you're just watching somebody react to a bunch of stuff that's happening to them i mean that's how that would be in real life so i don't know um and i I don't know that it would be a sincere story to have somebody having agency within a system that is sort of designed to break a person down and turn them into a star right like and that was the whole point of at least the judy garland one of like you know you have once you step into that there's no stopping it and you you don't get to really make decisions and you don't have control um which is the point of the the point of the thing yeah yeah, I feel like Judy, the Judy Garland. We don't have to talk about Stars One that much more. I feel like I've been talking <laughs> about Stars One so much in the last month. Me too. But um, but she, I feel like gets broken down the least because she's fucking Judy Garland. Um, it's really hard to have her not be recognizable as Judy Garland mm-hmm. throughout. Uh, and I think she comes on into it so assured of herself that it's really, yeah she's not as ply like maybe she's beaten down or has had like a you know a rough go of it but she's not necessarily pliable in the same way that some of the other versions of that character have been mm-hmm. but anyway we don't want to talk about stars born <laughs> no but i think it's it is but yeah. the transformations like you know you i think that's a big cathartic you know general arc for any movie to be built upon um that's why those things are popular so Plus, it's not shown as being a super great time, right? I mean, that's the thing is at least, you know, because I haven't seen the new version, but at least in the Judy Garland version, like it's not seen as she relinquishes agency and then she has nothing but, you know, uh, happiness and riches to follow. Like it's, you know, it. it, Yeah. She has to go on and perform even though she's fucking dying inside and everything. Um, Yeah. Well, it doesn't give her. I, I, I mean. I like James Mason, but he's like so he's so unpleasant in that film that mm. um, you never buy the romance yeah. at all, and you never buy that like their love is this sort of salve on all the the tribulations of fame and the business and all that. Um, I never anyway do, so I don't take it so hard when he dies. <laughs> Uh, it seems like she can just get on with her life and her work after that. I, the the romance aspect in the new one and the Lady Gaga one is much more. I and I find I I am I I consider myself very immune to this kind of thing, but I was totally swept off my feet by it. I thought it was mega mega romantic, and I think I bought it more and felt like I understood why it would suck for him to die for her anyway more. <laughs> uh, even if I still think those movies are a fantasy about being a widow. 
Being a widow is a good fantasy. Yeah. I have to say. Oh my god, I shouldn't say that now that I'm married. Um, um, but yeah, it's. Um, but sort of like if, going back to Verhoeven, but this idea of the sort of woke critic or the yeah. Um, you know, Verhoeven is sort of constantly being coming up against accusations of misogyny in his films right. and, and so on, um, which I think is just a misinterpretation of, yeah. of the work. Um, but it's this idea of um, kind of the criticism of, of A Star Is Born with Lady Gaga not having enough agency. Um, the idea that a woman is only supposed to be seen as, you know, strong and mm-hmm. et cetera. Um, this is obviously something I've talked about in, in past podcasts, yeah. but, but yeah, it, it's continually sort of frustrating to me that this is how we judge a movie now well, in a lot of cases. I mean, obviously not everybody, but yeah. yeah. Well, if you're only looking, I mean, yeah, there's only, this movie does not pass the Bechtel test. Uh, there's only one woman in it. She's, I think she's a, cool character an interesting character i mean she could have gotten more time but i i like her presence on screen mm-hmm. i think she's ref- you you get the scent like especially after just scenes after scenes of board boardrooms and men in gray suits like she does feel kind of like a breath of fresh air in some way and not in the typical like um you know romantic like necessarily romantic interest way um but i mean i think yeah, you can look at the fact that there's only one written female character in this film or or that the, and the other ones are like getting held at gunpoint or raped. being raped. Uh, but like all the what is a good ma- male character in this film other than Murphy? I mean, who is a robot cop? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like there there isn't they are all objects of mockery down to I'd buy that for a dollar, man. Yeah. Like they're all these awful, like it is much more misandrist than it is because it's talking more about men. Mm-hmm. Like it's just, it is more, and, and most of his films, I'd say a, a lot of them. Mm, eh, yeah, slightly more than half of them, I would say are like in the business of talking about men more. And so there's naturally going to be more commentary on them. And I would not say that that commentary is on the whole good. Right. I think it's I think it's wild that anybody thinks that he's a misogynist. I think you have to just not be, you have to be on your phone while you're watching these movies to think that. Yeah. Um, um, so in the, in the director's version, the, the, um, the, now I can't remember her name, which is terrible. Um, the, um, the, Anne? No, the, oh. the woman who is the engineer who helps build RoboCop oh. has a way more screen time. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I haven't seen the director's cut. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's on Amazon Prime for no oh. fucking reason. I don't understand. I don't. There's where I tell everybody to quit Amazon Prime. I know. Don't it's terrible. I, <laughs> I know. It's bad. Um, they don't but, have it on iTunes, I guess. Not that iTunes is any better, but we have to watch our movies all, somehow. They're all very bad. And now that Film Shrek is leaving, these are yeah. our only options or yeah. terrible conglomerates. Um, but uh, but yeah, so it's interesting to me that that she was a real character in the in the director's cut and the um, one with the glasses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I liked her glasses. Yeah, so I she remember eighties yeah, glasses are are memorable. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's interesting. So, like, what did she do in it? Like, what is her arc 
if she has one. She doesn't necessarily have an arc. It's just that she's always sort of shown as being um, one of his creators. So she's just sort of always on hand um, and making decisions and, you know, that sort of stuff. Hmm. It's it's not so much a character, but it's the fact that she's a woman and and doing that and in a position of power is, you know, yeah. Well, he tends to be non-discriminatory about who can be shitty in positions of power also for Hoven um, in the same way that he's like, I mean, yeah, this is this is this is a thing in Starship Troopers. And there's also a thing in another non-Verhoeven movie that I saw recently. I can't remember it all. But the thing about like the co-ed nudity and the locker (laughs) rooms and everything. Yeah. Which is so like European. (laughs) It's very European, but it's also like this. I think you talked about this in the in the Starship Troopers episode. But it's this thing of like, well, we solve sexism, but we're still shitty in every other way. Yeah. Yeah. Gender equality. Yeah. Yeah. They obviously did not solve sexism, by the way. but yeah, like, like that. It's not, yeah. That 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 women can could be shitty and 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 make a robot. <laughs> the ultimate act of shittiness. Yeah, um, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I I don't know. I like that a lot. Um, I I would I would dress up as her for Halloween if I had known that she was a bigger character. <laughs> <laughs> for the glasses, yeah. yeah. So you could wear the glasses. Um, but yeah, it has a, a variety of shitty men uh, to to deal with, from the sort of corporate um, men who are just worried about profits and clearing out um, the crime ridden neighborhoods so that they can build their new city and make a shit ton of money to. Um, to you know, to the cops, to uh, the bad guys, to are the bad guys the least bad? They're the least shitty of Isn't everybody. It, I, yeah, I always come away with that impression, and I'm always like, what? Like, I wish I could have an inventory of what everybody does, but I feel like I think the thing that always makes me feel like that though is the the guns, guns, guns line because that <laughs> just feels like the tagline of the movie. <laughs> But like it's it's like the 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 moment of the most clarity <laughs> spoken yeah. by the like drug kingpin, the dad from that seventies show. Yeah, the dad from that seventies show. <laughs> Kurt and Wood the dad Smith. from Twin Peaks is in it. Yeah, yeah, is yeah. In the so game. many dads. Yeah, so many dads. <laughs> Which really, just the fact that it's populated with uh, dad figures uh, to me says is a, another layer of com- oh, uh, unintentional yeah. commentary. It's very well. It's like very dreamlike in that way. Like TV dads like engaged in this hyper-violent war against each other. <laughs> yeah, cocaine and murder, yeah. Yeah, just like clouds of cocaine uh, getting caught in their receding hairline. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's very, yeah. The, the, yeah, the, the, I think that the, the sense of, like the lack of a sense of place in it and this idea that we're in between this, like this city that was and this city that will be, and all that exists right now are, are cops and robbers. Essentially, mm-hmm. does give it give it this very dreamlike quality. I think I, I it's another thing where I, I get so hung up on genres for some reason. But some people call this a cyberpunk movie sometimes, and I don't think it's a cyberpunk movie at all. No. Um, just because I think of that genre as having much more fleshed out details and stuff um and much more kind of inventions within it um and you just keanu like jacking into his system mm-hmm. or something yes nobody jacks into anything actually no that's not true he does put in the the bloody spike to oh, yeah to show the footage of um of the guy saying that he what what 
I don't know. It's one of some. Killed you. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. When yeah, they had them killed. Um, Yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't really think it's too much. It's too much uh, in kind of a more abstract sort of satire landscape. I think to really feel like a work of cyberpunk or even I mean it's science fiction obviously but it's it has to be really really elastic in order to you know communicate the the, all the things it wants to communicate I watched this also this is the first time I'd seen it since I saw sorry to bother you you see that um which one is it's um oh the boots Riley um yeah which is um very you can there's a lot of there's a lot of Verhoeven influence, I think, in mm-hmm. Sorry to Bother You, um, which is also a very, you know, very progressive, very uh at times there's there's it's it's violent, but I think it goes more for like the weird, like perverse shock value in mm-hmm. it. Um and has a lot of surreal moments with like advertisements and the world of the media that it takes place in. Um that kind of feels, I mean, it feels to me it retro in a good way <laughs> and sorry yeah. to bother you because it feels like not enough, like not enough filmmakers picked up that sort of tone and that like level of filmmaking and mm-hmm. ran with it and, and like used it to talk about other things. I think that it still feels sort of like a weird um, bubble of a bubble of fun that existed at one point <laughs> that like Verhoeven and a couple other people played with and then not, but never really became uh, anything close to like a dominant film tradition or anything like that. I don't know. Yeah. It's weird that, that his influence is so rarely felt. Um, and definitely in uh, sorry to bother you with the, the sort of T the, the TV show that sort of comes in and out um, mm-hmm. the, the, the reality yeah. TV show that they're like, watching is very, you know, it's like the, I got, what's it? I got, I got, I got the shit kicked out of me. I think it's what it's called. Yeah. 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 Um, for, versus, you know, I'll buy that for a dollar guy. But, um, um, you know, the so the other filmmaker that we do the series about is Fincher and his influence is sort of like all over culture yes. and, and stylistically. Yeah. But um, but even like, you know, through all those 80s films with Verhoeven, they're so weirdly lit and shot. And um, mm-hmm. you can tell from his like European films that he knows how to light a scene, but they're like, <laughs> but for some, it's like the American films. I don't know. They They have such a weird feel and tone to them. Yeah. Um, that I can't even figure out because it seems so singular, except for it's like he's purposefully trying to make it look cheap. Yeah. Well, and he's not doing... That's really, I think, when, especially for those sorts of films, the the orange and blue starts to become the, the dominant thing. Mm-hmm. And he's he doesn't do the orange and blue, really, at all. Um, this, yeah, this feels much more flat. And I I, I don't know. I think... I don't mind it so much. I think that it's yeah. I don't mind it. It's just it's just odd. I think yeah, yeah. Well, I I mean and yeah. And then and then as far as him not being uh, influential in any way, I mean like they don't look like movies you'd want to emulate as a young filmmaker. Even if you like the, the movies, it's, mm-hmm. nobody's ever like make this look like RoboCop. Right. I mean they they maybe in some. I mean maybe when it comes to like the sort of TV stuff and that like more overtly satirical stuff like there could be nods to it in that way like with sorry to bother you but like um but nobody i think is ever like i want that verhoven feel for my 
for my cyberpunk world. Um, yeah, it's too it's too purposefully rinky dink. I think to to yeah. if you if you want to flatter yourself thinking of yourself as some big creator of worlds as a filmmaker, that's not how you're gonna do it. Right. I don't know. Yeah, it, you know, in the way that Starship Troopers is sort of hyper lit in this way so that there are no shadows, which makes it look kind of like a TV soap opera. Mm -hmm. And I think for, you know, it's purposeful. Um, but yeah, like Robocop looks cheap in this way of, um, um, they he made that movie with money. <laughs> <laughs> well, I always wonder how the 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 big robot, the ED two hundred nine. Also, is ED like was that purposeful? Was it was it called ED two hundred nine purposefully? Well, me like, I mean, like as an erectile dysfunction. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I always think that, but then it's like I don't. I didn't remember hearing that as a as an abbreviation for that until like. Viagra, the mid nineties, yeah. yeah, till Viagra. Um, but I don't know. I always think that, and of course, it's like a giant, like <laughs> robot with a gun that yeah. a, a boardroom full of men created. Uh, I, I always go there when I see it. But, <laughs> but I, but I, I wonder. Uh, I mean, I, I, I have no real conception, I guess, of how that looked to people in nineteen eighty seven. Mm. Like, if people thought it was corny or because it's like sub star wars stuff yeah, and yeah. that had come out a decade earlier so i don't know i mean i think it looks fantastic but <laughs> yeah it kind of looks like a corporate video now that i think about right. it like if, what the the aesthetic is it, it is kind of like a yeah like a, yeah like a corporate video oh God. um totally reminds me we had um at my place of employment like a, a month or two ago, we had to do our training in case of an active shooter. Jesus um, Christ! I work at a I work at a media outlet in Manhattan, so this is par for the course now. Um, and I was so horrified by the video that they showed us. I I didn't know what, like I didn't know what to do. I was so like <laughs> alarmed um, because the. The, you know, it's it's of course this very cheapo looking like shot in Southern California and like the Inland, Inland Empire somewhere like um, office scene where these you know coworkers are like you know they're in the they're in the break room or in their, their cubicle and then oh no a shooter has walked into the lobby um, and it's like scored like an exciting action movie oh no and the announcer on it the voiceover literally says like. Like, this isn't this isn't the latest Hollywood action movie. This could happen in your workplace. <laughs> it's like, <Aww>. like <laughs> those are like, yes, that's the problem. <laughs> like, it's it's uh, I was so I was so shocked by it, and and then you know of course the guy who's who's giving our our um, you know training or telling us about what to do this just seems way too excited about it i'm just like i was i was very horrified but yeah so if there was a, a workplace training video for what to do in case a giant robot walks into the lobby of your your office i mean it's coming you know like yeah. and we'll just have our own giant robot to deploy against it i well, mean we'll get blamed for not having a giant robot yeah <laughs> but you know that that's always what people say is you know well if i had been there 
you know, mm-hmm. I would have taken the guy out. Like mm-hmm. the, this idea of the sort of, I don't know, fucking yeah. vigilante. Like it just takes one brave man. Right. Definitely going to get shot in the face if he tries to. Anyway. Yeah. I mean, that doesn't, there's no time to entertain anything like that in that, in that scene at the beginning of Robocop <laughs> at all. Um, I don't know. I, I find that scene to be a delight every time I watch it. <laughs> uh, it makes it makes me laugh. Uh, I don't I don't know. I think I think I I think I just have more and more like Silicon Valley rage each time I rewatch that movie, and so there's always more <laughs> to mine from <laughs> when I watch that scene. I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Also, I remember when Uber got it. It's like second logo, and it, it to me it looked like the OCP logo, like yeah. un, unmistakably. Yeah. And uh, now they've changed it back to. Uh, <laughs> but they they flirted with it for a while. <laughs> yeah, I mean corporate fascism is um, is well. It's interesting that it's not um addressed as directly any uh, or so rarely addressed directly, except for you know little bright lights like sorry to bother you yeah um but um but even you know police brutality but i think things like that now have to be sort of addressed in an earnest way rather Mm -hmm. than a satirical way which Mm -hmm. i don't think helps Um, yeah it's one one person's struggle which uh that narrative i i I, i'm finding more and more problematic but Yeah. yeah i think it's tremendously challenging to do anything that feels complete enough if you're doing the earnest version of a story about well like particularly police violence or something like that i mean there have been now we're kind of getting this wave of all the police brutality like either based on a true story or inspired Mm -hmm. by a true story i i've reviewed a bunch of them this summer um and i actually liked i liked the hate you give a lot which is based on like a ya book and and is like two and a half hours long, which is I think how long a film about that needs to be. Cause it's just like about this teen girl's basically like radicalization after her, the boy she has a crush on gets killed. Um, and that felt like long enough to me. <laughs> like, <laughs> like there's so much going on. And it was like, okay, that's a, like super ambitious. And I thought it was for the most part well done. And I, I understand it was like a, like teens love that book and they probably will like that movie um but there's so many where it's like they try to do this elliptical kind of sundance tasteful never really arrive at the point because you're too scared to type treatment of these things and i just think it's it's such a unhelpful um commentary Mm -hmm. on like if you're gonna do a dramatization of either yeah a police shooting or like an unfair incarceration or something like that like you I think you need to know what you want to accomplish other than just mirroring it because it's you know it's 2018 and the stuff gets mirrored to us a lot we get to like see this a lot and if you're paying attention and if you are the audience for that kind of film or like a potential audience for that kind of film you understand the 
events. And I think that there's something else that art needs to do if it's going to take that on. That's not just replicating events. Right. It's like, well, now that I've seen an actor die uh, from a police shoot, you know, uh, in a uh, dramatized version of a police shooting, now I understand yeah. and can empathize with the situation. But it's now mm-hmm. just like Paul Greengrass now just sort of does a film version of every atrocity that's committed like where did his career go like no it's and all that stuff starts to feel really in a way super conservative to me in a in a way even though i don't necessarily know these directors politics but there is something of like again it's like the guy who does our active shooter training it's like why do you like this so much why do you want to live in this world so much yeah um it's like it's like Peter Berg or something like I, mm-hmm. I I remember like having a panic attack watching Lone Survivor because he was like presenting it for the place that I worked at the time and like having to leave the movie just like about to vomit because it's so I don't know if you've seen that movie it mm-hmm. is I mean don't it's it's <laughs> so it's again like you know I I have a sensitivity to violence when it feels like when it feels like the person who's presenting it to me, I don't know, like really, I don't know. I don't understand why why they want me to see like somebody just falling down a mountain and having his like skull crack open and stuff. Like, it's just like, it's just like not fun. <laughs> and yeah. not that it's supposed to be fun, but it's, I, I don't know what else I'm, I don't know what all I'm, I'm learning from. I don't know what I'm getting from it or what's being like elucidated via it. I, and sometimes it feels like it's just getting, like you can just get like punched in the face and, or you could like, I don't know. I, I, I don't know how to <laughs> It's like right. getting it's like getting punched in the face with like none of the none of the the bright side of getting punched in the face. I don't know. There's no. <laughs> it just feels like destruction without any like something good on the other side. I don't know. Right. I don't. I don't trust anymore. Paul Greengrass's intention for yeah. for doing because okay. So now he's done Oslo. He's done United ninety three. Mm-hmm. He's done. Uh, I don't even know how many other fucking movies. But also like that Matt Damon like Green Zone one where he has to kill a oh, bunch right. of Iraqis yeah. um, who are all trying to kill him. Um, which uh, yeah, I just I, I I don't trust the intention behind that of. Uh, this is but also like there's something about that sort of macho director of like this is what the real yeah, world is yeah. like like i don't know like, you're comfortable there in your theater seat but yeah. like these kids were running through the forest screaming as they got mowed down like the thing i had to review that movie also mm-hmm. um the ending of it is so insulting it's crazy i mean the ending of it basically posits that this white supremacist guy who's like still you know he's gonna be locked up for the rest of his life whatever who did this shooting uh he's the real loser in the end because um he doesn't have any friends and all the kids who were at the camp um even though they're traumatized for life and some of them can't walk anymore Mm -hmm. and they live in a country that still has a problem with white supremacists um they win in the end because they love each other (laughs) it's so insulting it made me so um incensed i mean he has a he seems to have a lot of friends like right like he has a lot of people doing killings in his in you know in tribute to him there was a that kid in fucking uh germany um who yeah 
who who went to the mall and shot it up yeah. in his name and all this kind of stuff. But yeah, yeah it's um, no, all those all those kids have friends. They don't, you know, hang out the, out of the mall with them. But um, and increasingly since 2011, they don't feel quite so alone. Probably as that guy maybe did. I don't know. I think he feels pretty good about him, you know, about himself. If he gets like, any news reports from his cell in his cell, he probably is feeling like pretty good right now. Yeah. No, it's 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 such a disingenuous treatment of that or like a way to send you out of the theater feeling like you watched it for a reason. Because if if without that ending, yeah, you would walk out feeling like I mean, I still did. But like if you're a dumb person, <laughs> <laughs> you would walk out you know genuinely not knowing why you why you suffered through this like what was the point instead of like reading the wikipedia article about it yeah um but then you get this nice coda at the end where they tell you like you're it's okay because like that guy didn't have any friends and then you can like feel okay about it all i don't know it's crazy and are we supposed to extrapolate from that like the that all the the new nazis like will event will vanquish them or something because of their um lack of friends like that's what really matters like i have no idea it's so short-sighted it's so crazy yeah um Anyway, that that's a movie that came out this year also. <laughs> like if it had come out the year after that, maybe I couldn't maybe understand such a simplified ending. But it came out this year. Like there's plenty of time for hindsight yeah. about what was going on there and what has happened since. Um, but it is not there. So Yeah. Yeah. Great. Um <laughs> Yeah. Um but yeah, to to circle back to Verhoeven. Um it's it's the the kind of um uh I think we don't trust and maybe and probably we shouldn't given the sort of stupidity of um most uh, directors as far as I can tell and screenwriters uh that that work today. Um we don't trust that kind of wit, the the ability to stand above like I don't know, like mm-hmm. there there is something we're about our culture that's so performative toward um you know call it wokeness call it you know uh i don't know what else you would call it other than wokeness but um but performing that uh intention and that that story um and that earnestness like it's it's um yeah well i, I think that if this. you are uh if you are white straight male film exec who's you know giving the money for a project like this to be made or greenlighting it in some other way um and you know in some way what is the conversation that is happening around whatever act of violence or atrocity or racial injustice or whatever that this you want you know you want to do a film you want to have a film on your slate that is dealing with this because this is something that everybody's talking about right now but for whatever reason it's not something you actually feel very strongly yourself it's just something that you know you should have right um then you are going to be much less i think empowered or um or feel the freedom to have a variety of interpretations around it or let somebody make a satire out of it for example um because you can 
you have such a small understanding of the issue itself and and also what how other people are talking about it um people that don't look like you and don't have the life that you have that um you don't trust anything other than the most hand-wringy earnest approach to it because you want to make sure that everybody knows that you're hand-wringy and earnest about it mm-hmm. um and i think that you know <laughs> They're failing, but like Annapurna is like green, yeah. <laughs> greenlit. Uh, sorry to, or, you know, if it did fund a lot of. There's also this company Macro that is that is pretty cool that um, gave them money and uh, and definitely come from a place of you know of willingness to try out more things because they are not companies that are run by straight white men. Uh, yeah. yeah, but I'm sure that no Hollywood exec who greenlit Robocop or Starship Troopers or, you know, any any Verhoeven had any idea what his intention were. Or right. even understood the film. They were right. just like, oh, look, things blow up. Like, it's going to do really it well. It feels so simple. It feels like such a simpler time. You could you could Trojan horse so much more stuff into a yeah. movie yeah. if you were some, thinking like, like of, of Verhoeven uh, about those things. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess that's, I guess that's where the criticism comes from then is that like, okay, you're making something that to our eyes looks on, you can't differentiate it from, from, you know, the opposite of it as far as like what, what it's saying. Um, and it's also created by the same mechanisms and the same people and the same, you know, money that would go into making a more reprehensible film. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) uh, So why, you know, why should we trust this, I guess? Um, It really just, I mean, I mean, it is enriching. It is enriching people who make shitty movies too. Um, Yeah, of course. You know, that movie was a big hit and um, not all of them were, but that one was for sure. And that like, you know, really kicked off his um his american career so you know i'm sure a lot of terrible people uh who probably look a lot like the people in the ocp ocp boardroom got rich off of robocop and the rest of paul verhoeven's movies but i don't know somebody bad is gonna get rich on almost anything you do in hollywood so or anything in the the world like everybody's getting rich off of us all the time anyway yeah so (laughs) there's nothing that we can do about it the bad people are just getting rich no matter what happens yep yeah so (laughs) enjoy your (laughs) i'm trying to think of anything that they they consumer nobody eats in this movie that's like (laughs) that's a problem um there's like beer yeah um, and cocaine that's and it. cocaine yeah there's beer and cocaine and champagne cocaine maybe <laughs> is the explanation for why nobody eats in this film i but. should yeah i should just say enjoy your cocaine <laughs> <laughs> forever dog this has been a forever dog production executive produced by dog. brett boehm joe cilio and alex ramsey For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram, at Forever Dog Team, and liking our page on Facebook.